You're listening to Behind the Ops, presented by Tulip. Natan. Yeah. Have you seen Monsters, Inc.? Yes, I have seen Monsters, Inc. How does it rate in your stack of, like, most fun for both children and adult movies? It is very fun for adult and children alike. Loved (laughs) by many. Do you mind sharing your, like, high-level summary with our our listeners? Like, what is the Natan Manufacturing Tech CEO's view of Monsters, Inc.? There's definitely a lean coach in that movie that uh, kind of works on this guy, (laughs) Sullivan, Sully. There you go. Sullivan Um, is also just, like, a a, a solid manufacturing name. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely a factory. Very tough to produce the product, I'd say. Energy is a, a tough industry. Uh, energy, yeah. And there's definitely corporate overlords there. Yes. Very strange supply chain. A strong quality department. Quality department, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the quality department there. No socks. Yeah, and Billy Crystal is funny, you know? <laughs> I thought it would be a good place for us to start as a, a way to introduce this concept of one energy and manufacturing energy and its kind of role in driving this manufacturing super cycle, which you've been emailing me articles about. Yeah, for like a few years. Are you referring to the last like up and to the right insane curve where the amount of money going into manufacturing real estate or did I send that to someone else? No, that's exactly the one that I'm talking about. And and we'll link it in the show notes. Uh, The one that Natan shared was the Axios article on the super cycle, which highlights just the incredible rate at which uh, money is coming in, but also construction is happening of um, American manufacturing. manufacturing in operation, which is phenomenal. It's weird because like we're missing all this hand working hands in operations. So theoretically, if we're missing them now, we have a place to put them now. And on the other hand, you're seeing all these new facilities being set up across the country in various programs. So big companies are coming in and setting up shop or federal and state level incentive plans and areas of sort of economic development are being set up across the country to get manufacturing back into America, which is Let's talk about a couple of the big ones there, because I feel like that's a major driver, both of innovation and interesting public policy. So you have the CHIPS Act, which I feel like everyone else has been covering at more depth (laughs) than we are, but that is an area of direct investment and subsidy from the government. CHIPS Act should be its own episode. It's not (laughs) to say we don't have opinions about it, but we're just not ready to share them. Yeah, so we'll put that one on on a shelf, but we'll acknowledge that... It's a contributor here. For sure. And then the other, or one of the others, is uh, renewable energy, especially around batteries and electronic vehicles, which has been like a global race for getting those industries to set up shop. And you're seeing the states really win in terms of subsidies for attracting companies, at least at the building production stages, though we'll we'll see how that, that shakes out. And then the third one that I, I wanted to mention, not on the government side, I think it's a little bit surprising. Do you know what I'm referencing? Is it um, tensions with uh, China, say? For there, example, just there, to think about something that could impact the reason why people are considering their operations. There's move. two kind of pieces to that, right? Yeah. So you have your intellectual property protections in the States just being much stronger for global companies than a lot of other countries. Uh, but the other, I think, is more surprising from China 
And that is that folks there are, are just rejecting in a lot of ways, lower paying factory jobs and the way that working in factories is as an experience, a work experience in China, which is both notable for thinking about attracting talent if you're investing in building these factories, but also a caution for those that are building now and what they need to think about yeah. when attracting talent and keeping talent. Yeah. So global supply chain, manufacturing economies are not going to change overnight, right? They're multinational companies are still sourcing parts all over the world. And like this trend of building close to the customer, in fact, started before COVID. Now we all forgot about COVID, but uh, it impacted our global supply chain quite a lot. Remember the part that was hard to get stuff on Amazon? Yeah, uh, holiday or, decorations. Or cars. <laughs> We're that, feeling the pain of that one right that now. One, you're still you're still on that one. <laughs> no, the the like ricochet of it hard to get to hard to get cars. Right. I feel like we're at the end of the cycle, but yeah. I, I distract from the, <laughs> the conversation. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it, you're a consumer. It's important. But my point is, is that for say several decades, a lot of labor has shifted to Asia Pacific and other low labor arbitrage type developing areas of of the planet. And multinationals did that to like have a great value to their customers and, and honestly like paying with logistics because logistics was so perfect. Well, that didn't work so well either when everything was like too much just in time mm -hmm. and we were missing chips to build the cars and uh, ships are waiting in Shanghai Bay for, I don't know, weeks and weeks mm -hmm. because of blockades and suddenly like a very fine-tuned global supply chain comes to a halt. And I think COVID just exacerbated that. But in fact, the trend to build close to the customer so you you have the inventory and you're ready to go. And you talked about other benefits from that, like quality and IP are more pronounced and people trust in brands. So I think that's definitely happening. But I guess the other part is that some organizations are now questioning like, well, what is productivity? Like, is it just dollars and cents on like my labor rates and all that kind of stuff? And like, what do I do with workforce and things like that? And Maybe they're paying more for the labor component, but they're getting way more productivity. Well, it's interesting you bring up the labor component yeah. because we, we found this study from, and I want to say it's Boston Consulting Group, BCG, that total cost in manufacturing is about 15% lower than Western Europe and 30% lower than Japan, both areas that you think of as high labor costs, but not as high as the States which coupled with the labor and just production build-out challenges yeah. in China show the states as a much more appealing, even on a cost-productivity basis, appealing yeah. place for, for folks to build. Yeah, and of course there's still issues in the U.S. here and like in westernized economies that there's lots to be done, but I, I'll give you at least one different view to the problem. But it's almost like by now they have a bad rep, you know? It's like if we want to get it done, then cheap and on time and all that kind of stuff. We need to go to make it in China. But uh, our problem in the U.S. is different. We have the productivity, and I think some of the people there, it's like, but we're starting to lose on basic stuff. Like, there's not enough CNC machines. So it's like capacity. Or there's like, we're losing knowledge because it's shifted away for so long. Yeah, sure, there's a lot of people who can put together a PCB, and but there's not enough SMT machines stateside like, to, to create the supply. So it's just the pricing like drops down. And so it's still the knowledge, the market hustle of getting all the resistors, capacitor, whatever is in Shenzhen because the government invested in making it happen. 
and enabling that in promoting that. And then all those little shops tied with, uh, I don't know, DHL, FedEx, and the like, you have global supply chain, boom, that's where you make your PCB. It, there's a different name for that. Like, you know what manufacturing does? It creates innovation. Yeah. And I forget who said that, but if you don't have that manufacturing, you kind of lose a big part of your ability to innovate on an ongoing basis because you lose the part where, well, we tried to make it and actually we couldn't. So we had to do something different. So we innovated and then it fed into how you design it. And then the cycle continues. Now what we have, it's like, well, we designed it and like we send manufacturing engineers to China. So where, where's the innovation of making the thing happens? Not here. I love that thread you're pulling at where it's like, okay, like we know the forces that are happening here, yeah. but where's the opportunity? Knowing what was lost before when there was a lot of offshoring, how do manufacturers in the States take advantage of this investment and opportunity? And what are things to think about if they're working towards leadership or any manufacturer with this opportunity is looking for leadership in the future? Yeah. My first recommendation is to go into these really elaborate and boring websites. <laughs> One of them is called reshorenow.org, <laughs> which I find fascinating. So much so that, you know, spend hours like trying to understand like what, what is actually happening. It's like a bunch of resources, like really kudos to the people who put this together that shows like where is reshoring happening and gives all sorts of resources. So that, that would be a good starting point to like read stuff. We have to understand not all reshoring is created equal because mm -hmm. like, are you really like wrapping up the operation back east and coming back to the US or is it actually diversifying? Okay, or is it actually, it's not all the way to the US, we're going to do a part in areas that are closer to the US or have different export regime from Talif and all that kind of stuff, that perspective. So it's like not one strategy that does this and we're seeing it to instances of everything basically. So... I think it depends on the size of the company and how people want to set up this operation. I would add, and maybe this is a shameless plug for this perspective, but if you're going to start just new, yeah. I feel like you can build in digital and adaptability and worker training yeah. into your facility from, from day one. You know, Learn from the mistakes or shortfalls, rather, of Industry yeah. 3.0 and avoid picking up the, like, we'll figure it out later mentality. Yeah. So you have that solid foundation. And also from the workforce point, like yeah. it's an interesting place to work day one. Yeah. And I think there's another interesting example, which I think is a phenomenon we're seeing. It's like, it's not necessarily, well, we used to make stuff back east, wherever, and now we're bringing it back. Like we're seeing all these companies that are born in the US and either they fall into like, we're a hardware company and we need to set up shop. So they would like look for even contract manufacturing expertise in the United States. So that's also a form of like deciding to stay local. And then they actually invest in their own factories. So suddenly, you know, they're on the smaller side and take, they take time to brew and all that kind of stuff, but they become pretty good at making this thing they're making. And they could be like all sorts of products like drones or modular homes and things like that. And I think they're cutting their cycles to the market. And in some cases, like for example, if you think of a modular home, logistics is a thing. So kind of like some products, like it really makes sense to make close to your customer because how are you going to ship it and like make money basically. And so there's lots of examples like that. I don't think there's like one holistic way to think this through. Yeah. And that ranges from people like 
being close to customers who have a perception of higher quality when they see like their country of origin listed on where the manufacturing facility of the good is. Or also, and I think an interesting example, in order to preserve the craftsmanship of a process, I don't know if we've talked about the Metallica buying their own factory to make vinyl records Did in Virginia. Yeah, it's a, it's a very fascinating story. It was There were only so many facilities that were making the type of vinyl records that they wanted because there's not huge demand, but they wanted them for their fans. So they purchased a manufacturing facility in order to ensure that lived on which I think is a another kind of unique and localized example of thinking about things that your customer cares about that are independent from just maximizing cost efficiency. Yeah, I think that some of the stuff we'll see in the near futures in reshoring is going to change all sorts of local economies. And you kind of talked about the CHIPS Act. We'll have to see how it shakes out. But that's like there's demand from local government, like, we need more jobs and more innovation in our section. And like, the federal government goes like, well, we want independence. We don't want to be so reliant on like the the global supply chain that we have to kind of take care of our base. So there's something, it's like very unique. And this is why some people call it like, okay, there's a renaissance or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, because like, you can argue that it's like the second renaissance, you know? Yes. Because the renaissance, you know, like, it took time until it kind of happened. I don't know, maybe Enlightenment is like the second renaissance or something like that. You know what I mean? Because like the first one is like, okay, we're opening up, automation is happening, internet's happening now. Go manufacture. Well, this one is a very village. artistic reimagining of the traditional industrial revolution journey that I'm very yeah. supportive of. <laughs> that is not industry one. Was yeah. like, uh, what was that actually? I want to yeah. pick at this renaissance thing. So talked a little bit earlier about this idea of like what foundations can people do to like think more future going and and where are are places that if the first renaissance was industry 3.0 a lot of american manufacturers missed out in a lot of ways and and are still kind of adopting that as like first first digitization but now we have an introduction and, and maybe we're not allowed to keep talking about this it's on the the bingo card generative ai and other more applied artificial intelligence yeah And digital access to information, contextualized information is table stakes for accessing the value from a lot of those technologies, if not all of that technology. Uh, So to your point about Renaissance, taking that investment and thinking not like where do we need to be today, but what do we need to do today in order to be competitive tomorrow and applying that to all things like the tech, the people, supply chain management, like all of these things as part of your core strategy. Yeah. Like I said before, like there's a problem with supply. So if the machining base is like quite a lot of shops, but they run a couple of Bridgeport and like one, three X is CNC. And like you go to many places in China and you just like rows and rows of five X CNCs all connected, like born digital. It's like, this is where we're missing. This is exactly like why we can't get enough local reshoring because it's not just about the OEMs or the integration companies like deciding to build the product local to the customers, like they actually need the rest of the supply chain. So this has eroded over the years. So reshoring is not just going to impact the companies themselves. It's going to impact like all the supply chain around them. And that that's a huge opportunity for, you know, the way the industrial base is actually constructed where you, you know, we have a ton of small and medium businesses that they need to modernize. And if, and, and, you know, this is where, you know, you read all this, uh, 
original MIT made in America thought leadership analysis research like even from as far as 20 years ago they're saying all those things and uh, we failed doing that and so to me that's the second chance you know so like designed in America made in America I think these are this is an interesting place for us to to close right like there's not, a lot not, happening not only that the, the episode <laughs> but it's uh I don't know if we get a summer break for real, but maybe this show gets a summer break. Show gets a summer break. This is going to be our finale episode. So second chance for me this season to do season of the podcast with you as my co-host. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's and been a ride. <laughs> all of this money is a, a second chance for American manufacturing to take a more innovative leadership role in how the, the industry shapes up in the future. Uh, yeah, we're ready to help and talk about it more. <laughs> next season behind the ops is brought to you by tulip connect the people machines devices and systems used in your production and logistics processes with our frontline operations platform visit tulip.co to learn more this show is produced by gabby ellenbeck and edited by tom obarski if you enjoyed listening support the show by leaving us a quick rating or review it really helps If you have feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at behindtheops at tulip.co.